Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. You know the intro song by now. It's an Oscar race checkpoint as we go around the Hollywoods and update you on all things award-centric. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. And we cut a lot of stories today. We cut a lot of stories. We could have gone sprawling MMO, you know, old MMOW style and just attacked (laughs) everything from everywhere and babbled like fools. But for once, for the first (laughs) time in the history of our podcast, Mike, I believe we are fairly focused. We got three trailers. We got one story. We're going to give you the movie calendar (laughs) in terms of the streaming services out there. Bing, bang, boom for once. Yeah, we'll see how bing, bang, boom it actually ends up playing with how loquacious you and I always get. But we do have, I mean, these are pretty significant stories in the realms of all things awards. And that's what you usually get with these Oscar race checkpoint as we try to have them be little benchmarks on the way to and through awards season. And something that could be a player and the director of which certainly was a big player in last year's awards season is that we get the final trailer of the Eternals coming from director Chloe Zhao that debuted this week. Yes, and we just saw her taking pictures at the uh, Shang-Chi premiere, Mm -hmm. uh, which is sticking to its September 3rd release date, also from Marvel there, uh, which uh, we covered last week like crazy. Uh, We got Angelina Jolie and all the cool little golden swords and spears in this with Salma (laughs) Hayek on a horse and Rob Stark and Jon Snow, plus Kumail Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, Gemma Chan, Barry Keegan, MMO favorites, Mike, on on this trailer in this cast. My disdain for horse movies aside, if this movie was instead called Salma Hayek on a horse, I'd respect it. I would would not tip my cap to that. But as far as Shang-Chi goes, I've seen nothing but positive reviews uh, for the most part i should say i've seen a couple negative but for the it's been mostly glowing and like god help the outrage machine i.e me me, if this is a bona fide (laughs) oscars contender talking about shang chi because if this is actually an oscars contender i don't think we're ever going to hear the end of disney puffing its chest out about both that fact and how they can then say that they saved such an Oscars contender picture for theaters only, despite the fact that they basically tripped into needing to have it be a theatric exclusive, like we discussed last episode. Right. Uh, this is a rare, not, not a rare instance where Disney's actually doing something that I think we would have approved of. We've been really, really, really happy about. All right, they're investing in theaters, mm-hmm. but we just know all the other motives. Right. right. We know it's, all the other yeah. motives. We see all the, and we can't even. Yeah, it's just it's very aggravating. Investing in us. theaters by saving it's that that's like got to be tenth, eleventh in their in list of why Shang Chi was stayed in theaters this right. time around. So yeah. Right. Well, as for Shang-Chi and the Eternals, I, I, or Eternals, no, the, we have a lot of red flags and green flags. I don't know, mm-hmm. but there's flags everywhere with, with these trailers, Mike, because I, I think there's story potential, but I think there's story issues. Look, Salma Hayek riding in the Badlands in this Eternals trailer, immediately gorgeous, very Zhao. Yep. Uh, I mean, if that's the spot where the exposition dump is going to happen... 
uh, rationalizing while all these supermen stayed on the sidelines while, you know, Thanos wiped out half the population. <laughs> Lots of guilt there. I get it. I mean, they only fight deviants slash dragons and some iron giant god prevents them from intervening otherwise. But right. look, if that's where the exposition dump's got to happen... I'm in it. Again, Salma Hayek on a horse, I'd probably see that regardless. And if you combine Delta and Variant together, you <laughs> almost get the word deviant. So this could all just be an allegory for frontline workers in the CDC, this whole movie. That is hopefully not the case <laughs> at all. But look, I think both trailers have some great VFX, Shang-Chi and Eternals. I don't know why I keep grouping them, but it's true. They both have great VFX and they both have some really worrisome vfx the stuff i loved in eternals mike all the gold superpower effects from the laser eyes to this angelina jolie spear just absolutely stunning Mm. and it fits into the environment perfectly whoever's doing that it i mean seamless it looks real yeah and there's so much good vfx and then you get your first look at the water lizard deviant thing and it was a bit jarring to me and i actually had that written down before i looked at uh the doc that we have going for this episode and you had the same complaint it just it looked a little off so it's it's weird to me that marvel would have something that looks so great and then at the same time something that looks that kind of off and that obviously uh computer generated but i'm with you most of the vfx here look phenomenal and if you combine it with Zhao's notorious camera work in that kind of desolate post-apocalyptic desert setting Mm -hmm. there could be something very special to be had here i hate to bring up this name but john carter those lizard people Mm. those seahorse Mm. men yeah i bet disney wishes you didn't bring that up right now (laughs) doesn't doesn't that look like like what green little lizard people from this journey to the center of the earth bad you know villain hive why do we why are we going there maybe it's in the comics and they have to do it but like this felt very justice league pre and post (laughs) Mm. remake or re reboot or whatever the hell that Snyder did uh, for HBO Max, which I will admit the the newer villain looks look much cooler than the older one. Uh, so that I'm 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 worried for the villainy in this. But like you said, you got the the ship looks real. You got the red flowers, you know, the bus. I mean, the debris getting turned. I mean, that's that's gorgeous. It's seamless, and and then all the practical effects involved with it. Disney blends it in like a Star Wars movie. They blend it in yeah. and it make makes you feel like like it is happening in front of you now. The story issues add to the fact that I, I, I'm worried here, but maybe I shouldn't be, Mike. Maybe I shouldn't be because Marvel has made the most ridiculous stuff work on me and, and you in right. the past. I right. mean, we, we know this. I mean, we, we did the MCU rewatch and we were buying in and, and arguing away all the obvious objections because we're giggling at a joke made by a Robert Downey Jr. or whatever. Yeah, they get every benefit of the doubt in terms of making something that looks off-kilter story-wise assuming it'll work or assuming that they'll figure it out by the time we see it in theaters. I agree. So not to mention Chloe Zhao just made the, she just made the story of Chris Farley's sketch about the man who lives in a van <laughs> down by the river. A Best Picture winner. Yeah. Yep. That's what Chloe Zhao did. So how dare I question yeah. her storytelling skills in this just because of one trailer? There, I, I mean, I'm not going to chastise you. Yes, Chloe Zhao should be like the trump card in all of this. And there's definitely reasons to give this 
the benefit of the doubt, but th- this is also a very paint-by-numbers trailer in terms of the action sequences it's choosing to show for a comic book movie. Like, we have the slow-motion camera panning up profile shot of the heroes. We have electric thingies shooting out of hands and fists. Mm-hmm. We have someone stopping a flying car slash train slash truck merely by stepping in front of it and having it crash into them. Like, that's... <laughs> this is all here, and it's in every superhero trailer everywhere. So there's... There's not not reasons to worry about this. But like you said, the trump card and all this is is Marvel. And if it's not Marvel, Chloe Zhao's not going to make a bad movie. It's just not going to happen. And for mm. I will say this positively about the look, last look here of the Eternals as well. For all the failures we're talking about and red flags and concerns, for a new unknown Disney or Marvel property to go head-to-head with Dune in the area the genre of ip that dune also is residing in this post-apocalyptic desert type wasteland dealing with these superpowers and overbearing forces like this to me looks as hopeful as i think something with such a task could be if you can ever consider disney and marvel the underdog in any such head-to-head battle with another ip out there and the cherry on top of all of this for me It's 100% speculation, but if you're listening to us by now and have ever, that's what I do. (laughs) I think Disney needs to get Galactus right. I think the assumption is going to be that Galactus, who I'm assuming is that giant iron god in the sky, is that Galactus? It looks very similar to the way he's he's sure that's not the Wicker Man. I am not at all sure of anything, and I would actually be (laughs) pleased if that was Nick Cage with the goddamn bees in the sky instead. But let's assume it's Galactus. I think the assumption is that Galactus is going to be the next Thanos. That's Hmm. there's nothing to prove that. There's no evidence of that. That's just what I've seen in kind of the zeitgeist. And I agree. He's like the next big bad that comes to mind. So I think he's going to be the guy, the Avengers, whatever the next iteration of the Avengers is, goes after. So they kind of have to get that right if that's the case. And I Hmm. think they know that because that introducing that bad guy, if that's the plan for him, that's going to set up your next phase, what, four and five, maybe. So there's a lot at stake here just in this movie and i think disney knows that and again if you're worried about anything it's chloe Zhao. well i would prefer if you use more double negative and triple negative sentences just to maybe keep <laughs> me and my and the audience honest it's the I, it's the biggest weekend in wrestling right now in the last 20 years as i told you so i'm gonna be talking in nothing but third person and hyperbole and like challenging all kinds of people because i'm jacked up right now so yeah this is uh this is this is a, this is a thing. Anyway, we should give Chloe Zhao, we should give the MCU the benefit of the doubt based on this p- podcast's track record. Now, I, I I guess I wanted to close with this question for you: If you had to bet on one of these movies just being better for you, which would it be? Would it be Eternals? Would it be Shang Chi? Or would it be Dune? Like you just have to bet. Mike One is going to like this movie the most out of those three. Which is it? It's this one. It's Chloe. Mm. It's the Chloe Zhao Marvel one. I mean, mm. and that's it's either Dune might be third on that list actually because there's people I trust who have seen Shang Chi and are singing its praises and saying how wonderful it is. Cool. And we've tracked Dune's production history up to this point and the difficulties it's had going here, there, and everywhere, and not necessarily having to do with the content or the you know the the, the film itself, but more behind the scene machinations. But this one is the one that speaks to me. If everything goes wrong, if this was just a trailer of, of two and a half minutes of a guy like staring at the camera and picking his nose, I would still say, but it's Chloe Zhao. <laughs> like she's going to make sense of it. She's the trump card in all of this for me. When that trailer happens, we'll be here reviewing it on MMO. <laughs> Michael, a trailer 
that I was very excited about is the hand of God. This is from Paolo Sorrentino of the great beauty of the young Pope on HBO, uh, Oscar winning filmmaker. Well, his, his films won Oscars. Again, mm-hmm. we talked about that international films. They go to the country, etc. but Mike, the hand of God, the cinematography, the yep. beauty of Naples, Italy, calling me home to the motherland. <laughs> Fuck Luca. Fuck Luca. That stupid fish movie. <laughs> This is what I want. Also Mike by his name, too. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I want in an Italian movie. And and yes, I would say Guadagnino got it, got the Italian (laughs) landscape right in in, in Italy as well a couple years ago. So I needed this. And as a a coming-of-age story, I mean, this kid is a loner who's obsessed with movies. He's fanatical about sports. He's forced to spend a lot of weekends with a huge Italian family at their picnics, (laughs) arguing with all these family members in this trailer, in this montage. I can't imagine why I'm drawn to this. Yeah, no, it's really, it's a bewilderment <laughs> to me as well. I can't understand at all uh, knowing you. Look, this is a coming-of-age movie about movie making that isn't based in or focused on Hollywood. Hmm. Like, I don't know if category-specific Oscar bait movies are really a thing outside of the lead acting awards picture and director, <laughs> but if such a thing exists for the international feature branch which is a branch comprised of movie makers who came of age making movies in places that primarily weren't Hollywood, this movie is such bait. I I will be stunned if this movie does this trailer could be a nominee in this category for me this year like i'll be stunned if this one knowing that paulo sorrentino's behind it isn't itself in the conversation at least for the international feature category the entire way through oscar sunday well i i i will say this Italy's got some movies that I'm really excited about coming to New York Film Festival, going That's to a good Venice. Point. That's a good point. I mean, they're ending the Venice Film Festival with that, ooh, the little baby, whatever mm-hmm. that title was, Il Buco, whatever. Uh, I'm in for Italian movies this year. However, I, I would agree with you. This has got to be catnip to an industry you know, voting body. Right. Uh, I would I mean, think, if, right? If he, if I mean, lands. this is this is tailor-made. This is the story of your upbringing told to <laughs> the people you went to school with. You know, like, this is, I, I don't understand how it doesn't work. Well, I can't wait for it. We'll talk about its release date later in the episode. Let's move on to the next trailer, Mike. This is one from last week, but it's notable. I, I reviewed it also on, uh, on the Nomcast uh, with Andrew Morgan. Worth. Worth is coming out very soon with Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci, Amy Ryan, and... All right, Worth is an acquisition from Sundance 2020 for Netflix. That's two Sundances ago, and they shelved it for a while. Now, the obvious reason could be that the 20th anniversary of 9-11 is this year. Many of the families of the victims are still fighting in court. Out of They're still fighting for with insurance companies, etc., uh, and there's funds go- going on and trying to raise money. It, it's, it's not going as well as it should have gone. These people were not made whole. And they could never be, but they they weren't they weren't paid properly. And now we have this film that's going to draw attention to this righteous cause on a very important uh, anniversary. And I'm wondering, does this play like last year we saw the trial of Chicago Seven be put out before the election for Net- Netflix? I guess what I'm asking you is, does this play better than we think it might? Because we have 
we have Netflix proving that they're, you know, the last few years, that they don't necessarily care about the Oscar release date if they have a commemoration that they, or that if they have an event that they want to put out a movie beforehand. Yeah, but that um, Sundance 2020 selection sticker is glaring for us. Mm-hmm. And for how long we've been doing this here, because... Well, the conventional wisdom would say as much, right? Right, yeah. right. And, I mean, we've covered the film festival circuit pretty in-depth and pretty heavily. I don't remember there being any hype about this movie. And if anything debuts at any Sundance that people say, hey, this could be a contender at some point down the... I mean, we're on top of it. Mm-hmm. We know it. We're We're aware of it. And I just don't remember that much about this one. I don't think it's something we talked about on this show... And this is me being totally subjective in in my own worldview. But those markers, those hallmarks being present to me suggest that this is something that's going to be hopefully nice for the mm-hmm. commemoration of the 20th anniversary. But I don't know that it's an awards player. I don't think I, I get that. And I don't think I get that from the content of the trailer either, necessarily. So that's the thing. This trailer had some momentum to it, but it also had some on-the-nose dialogue, etc. I will say Michael Keaton on the, on the train... And, you know, seeing that scene that that opened the trailer. I mean, that's a powerful hook. That's as yeah, powerful very, as you're going to get. Very. Uh, so I don't know what side he's on, though. He's like, is he an attorney? Is he an accountant? Is he part of the insurance? Is he working for the government? Is he working on behalf of the families? Is he some liaison for the lawyers? So is he a consultant? I mean, this feels very Mark Ruffalo in, in that Todd Haynes film, mm-hmm. Dark Waters, to me, where he kind of switches sides midway through the movie with Worth here. What, what I mean... This trailer at times feels very spotlight, and there are righteous speeches one after another from Stanley Tucci, and you know, then you get some kind of you know retorts from Keaton and whatnot that are just so on the nose. Where I just literally like cringe, like I brace, I cringe, I reacted physically to those lines, Michael, when when they're bad, and yeah, and it's an up and down journey with this trailer. This is. The degree of difficulty of this movie is off the charts because of that. I, I, the idea that you're going to try to make holy the guy who's responsible for coming up with the dollar amount for each live lost in Ugh. September 11th, Ugh. and you're going to make that guy your protest. I mean, look, if you pull it off, that's an incredible feat, and we'll see if it happens. It, it's got like a six point something on its first 700 reviews on IMDb, so it seems like it's kind of a run of the mill entry as of this point, anyway. But I'm with you. I'm concerned by some of the dialogue. I'm confused by what Michael Keaton's role is. I guess he's like a an attorney that deals in actuaries, uh, hmm. which hmm. I've I've seen play out in real courtrooms. That said, this movie has to be furious that that Ben Affleck movie came out first and was able to call itself the accountant because that's what the, I mean. Michael Keaton's basically just an accountant this entire time. Never mind the fact that he's actually a lawyer he's just talking about numbers this entire freaking trailer but there's a lot of stuff that's just i i don't know that i would i'll be surprised if this one lives up to be an awards player but i hope if nothing else that like you kind of started this review off with it's something that can at least be a nice gift to an homage and honoring to uh all the victims and their families from september 11th if nothing else you know, I'm rooting for it as well. And on the accountant, they should have named it something else because who he really was was way more interesting than an accountant. The or guy any with the gun, yeah. Yeah, any dramatic irony related to the fact that the movie's called The Accountant. Like the fact that you don't go into titles necessarily thinking, oh, this is going to be ironic all the time. You don't always do that. Anyway. I want to make a movie called The Accountant that's literally about like what my father has done for 40 years, which is being a CPA. That's what I. That's the movie I want to see. He's just a guy at a calculator 
later with the paper that comes out the top of it. <laughs> Just, you know, in a very similar voice, yelling across rooms. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> There's your The Accountant movie. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a, a huge industry story that we want to dedicate most of this episode to because uh, we were, it's a follow-up to what we were talking about last week on our Oscar Race Checkpoint. It's also the bad news before the good news because we wanted to take a look at the calendar and the movie release calendar that we're actually going to focus on today. It's going to be the streaming movie calendar ahead of, this fall, you know, ahead of us this fall because we're getting that no matter what, right, Michael? Probably even more. So... I figured this was a good spot. Let's let's in you know let's inject the uh, streaming movie calendar stuff after this bad news. You ready? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Hope we all enjoyed the 2021 movie theater going experience because uh, we're we're kind of setting our sights. If you've been listening to us the last little bit, there's reason to be concerned about what's going on in theaters right now. There's reason to be concerned about the COVID, uh, the Delta variant especially. So uh, there's a chance that these movies might be a bigger deal and bigger players than originally thought if they are all uh, have streaming outlets attached to them. Uh, right. It remains to be seen. You know what else is going to be interesting, too, Mike, as I'm just thinking about this, and, yeah. you know, we do call ourselves an Oscar show, so why I didn't think about this before is on me, but it, can you imagine if things need to change so radically come October or November and the Academy is going to have to pivot again and change their you-have-to-debut-in-theaters thing for one more yeah. year and so there's a possibility that some streaming movies don't have to play in theaters at all to win oscars this year gonna, gonna be interesting we've seen them change the rules uh midstream we've seen them move the eligibility from yeah. far out but the way i'm looking at the schedule this year we still got like a month of what we got a month of like no man's land mm -hmm. in january because we got that three months instead of two months between the end of the eligibility and the Oscars. So it just doesn't make sense. Like they, they have some maneuverability. I wonder if they built that into the schedule, but you're right. COVID's back on the rise, unfortunately. And that is the worst news we can give. However, we've been trying to read it. And last week we kind of thought something was fishy or lobstery with, you know, the Venom, Let There Be Carnage move into the mid-October, <laughs> mid right? I mean, right. we knew Dune was not going to budge off of October 22nd the following week because it's day-and-date model. It mm -hmm. doesn't have to. And because of the holiday on which it is based, Halloween Kills couldn't really move unless it moved an entire year. Right. And they wouldn't do that to your heart and let, let it be broken, let those fans have broken hearts for another year. Could they? Would I they? I would like Jason Blum to come out and say as much, please, at any point. That'd, be, that'd make me feel a lot better about it anyway uh, uh, <laughs> short of that assurance they I'm have a man on edge with this movie well, here's the thing they've been re releasing you know like six months to halloween yeah. kills and, or, yeah. or whatever 60 days until yep. uh, you know they've been releasing like timestamps uh countdown stuff on halloween kills like during last week when this venom news yes. was dropping almost as a way to like posture their own slate because there was kind of a maybe a staring contest between venom and halloween kills maybe venom wanted to see if halloween would move off so that they can get their real estate but we did think something was fishy with sony pictures last week and what happens this week we we get a ton of analysis about Venom moving off again. This is coming from major trades that you're going to reference in a minute, Mike. And we also get a huge deal, uh, an eye-opening deal, that Hotel Transylvania 4, Transformania, Sony has unloaded that to Amazon for a price of only $100 million. 
And that's jarring for a couple reasons that it happened. One is, and not least of which, is that the Hotel Transylvania franchise is something that's been bankable for Sony. Mm. I mean, that thing has, in its first three iterations, made $1.36 billion worldwide. I think a half a billion, uh, more than a half a billion of that comes from just the domestic box office in and of itself. So yeah. the fact that Sony's willing to let that go to Amazon for $100 million only is, one, striking to me. Two, uh, it's also striking for the fact that they move it with six and a half weeks to go until debut. So studios, major studios are showing that they're willing to move tentpole properties regardless of how far out we are. I mean, a month and a half to go is kind of a big freaking deal if you're going to move something for only $100 million. Sony's not sure they can get $100 million domestically right now from families going to movie theaters is what that says. Yeah, yeah, it's it's scary. And if you look at the last three budgets for the the HT franchise franchise, there it's eighty to eighty five million. You wonder if six weeks out they already spent some marketing money. I mean, I really haven't seen much marketing for Hotel Transylvania four yet. But let's say the maximum profit just on paper there is fifteen to twenty million. That has to pale into you know comparison to what they made on the first three sure. films. Sure, it has to. I mean, it does. Just... It, I can tell you outright, it absolutely does. I mean, there's no, there's no way you get to the domestic box office numbers of the first three taking this hundred million dollar deal that right. Sony did. You can't. It's, it's impossible. It's nine figures short, at least, mm. yeah. <laughs> of what they've been making on these other films. So they're kind of just what they're just covering costs on Hotel Transylvania four with this price because. Even last year, we saw sell-offs from Paramount, Sony, etc. We saw sell-offs with higher profit margins. Chicago 7 was a $33 million listed budget sold to Netflix for 56. Greyhound was a $50 million budget budget sold from Sony to Apple for 70. And best of all, Coming to America sold from Paramount to Amazon, $60 million budget for Coming to America, $125 million price tag for Amazon. Those are huge profits right off the back bat in terms of percentages and we spent the last couple episodes speculating and talking like things might move we think things are going to move we think the studios are getting a little weary about delta and now it's kind of been glorified in print because pamela mcclintock who wrote a great article for the hollywood reporter uh was quoting executives unnamed executives using them as sources but using their quotes outright and here's what they said a couple of them said about their thoughts with regards to how they see the upcoming release slate quote from one of the executives here if i knew six weeks ago what i know now i would have moved everything as far out as early next year Mm. a rival colleague adds that he would have said no to the chance of another calendar another major calendar migration six weeks ago but now quote now it's a maybe yeah so that's how they're looking at these things inside these studio walls it's a very influx situation there's no settlement and I've been on this program talking for weeks saying how much of a murderer's row this lineup in theaters is looking like and how we're actually going to get an Oscars-worthy lineup because last year was pushed back to this year, and now I'm wondering if we're going to have three years and one next year. Because if we're if studios are willing to move major tentpole films like Venom, like mm-hmm. Hotel Transylvania, off the schedule completely, off theaters completely, and take, the, take not only move it, but take a loss for it, which they have to be doing at this point... Why wouldn't major studios move more properties until they know they can get the requisite funds? You can say money. I understand that argument because it does cost millions of dollars to remarket and move things around the schedule and all that. Right. But these are also the studios with the deepest pockets doing these things. 
So, I mean, there's this is such a loaded argument, and we've had some of it before. It's it's loaded because the fact that some of these studios are vertically integrated with streamers and conglomerates, mm-hmm. and some are not. And Sony is not necessarily, even though they're working with Netflix, they're working with uh, Amazon in terms of some some some, some deals out there. Uh, Netflix more recently. Look, I do think I do think. Some of these movies need to make a, a huge nut at the box office for, for movie studios, even without streaming. I mean, they're just too much invested into these films. Uh, I do think that studios are trying to hold out hope that the, the old models will work again with theatrical because they need that side of the business. They don't want to just punt on that side of the business entirely. And the fact that Disney with Shang-Chi, even that, even that, as cynical as we are about that, is something that's encouraging for movie theaters, right? But the problem is all of these markets where it's just been ebbing and flowing COVID-wise and box office-wise and inverse directions, Mike, I think... I think there's there's just again this the reality that this is not going to change in breakneck fashion. It's not going to change in a month's time. So the, f- the problem I mean t- my god, I don't want to I don't want to depress everyone, but I, I was doing research for this uh yesterday to look up some of the covid numbers and on July 5th we had a 7-day average of new covid cases in this country. That t- of 10,608, that was the seven-day average. It's gone up every single day since that date. Right. And as of the, 19, the 18th, according to the New York Times anyway, the seven-day average of new COVID cases in this country is over 140,000, almost 141,000 new cases a day. Yeah, I guess what I, I should clarify my statement. It's going to change, but if it changes, it changes for the worse in a yeah. short amount of time. It doesn't change for the better in terms of COVID numbers. In the box office, at best, it's going to change more gradually. And we, that's what we saw. We saw the box office recovery go from Paramount's uh, A Quiet Place 2, which did really strong 50 or 60. Then we saw, you know, fast. Nine, which was 70 or 80. Then we saw uh, Black Widow, which was, you know, 80 or 90. Add the stream. We saw it gradually building back yeah. as movie going habits right. were gradually building back. I mean, and that's the- a totally different. That's a foreign world to where we are now, quite frankly. Right. I mean, right. Th- that 10 week stretch between like April and like mid July. That mm-hmm. felt like progress was being made. We felt like there was a return to normalcy going on. And this now, where we are at the end, just, what, three weeks later, six weeks later, something like that? It feels like that was forever ago. Yeah. And even some some place like Canada, whose numbers went down uh, in the middle of the summer after spiking early in the summer, their numbers are going worse. So, like, I was looking up Canadian swear words, Michael. <laughs> And that could, you know, swear words that could perhaps fit into this context, Mm -hmm. but all of them that had any chance grammatically to fit here in my way of speaking (laughs) was about losing hockey players. Uh, So I would not dare, I would not dare to call any of our Canadian moviegoers or listeners and associate them with any losing hockey goers slurs, hockey players slurs. Probably playing it safe there. I I respect the move on your part. Yeah. But but I guess to get back to this, we, we do have a streaming movie calendar and I think there's some solace in that. I think there's some solace in the fact that we saw last year, even during COVID, 
various release models being employed that didn't involve some movie theaters. If the movie theaters in COVID controlled areas, if you can say such a thing, is bouncing back. Maybe some movie studios are saying, all right, this is a $15 million production budget, like Don't Breathe. Mm-hmm. What Even at 40% capacity, overall, worldwide, average everything together, Don't Breathe 2 could make $17 million, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's in its first half a week. So we could wind up being okay and get in the profit on VOD at that next window anyway. And, you know, we got one of those stories today with uh, – with the Princess Diana film, but we also saw a bunch of examples of that last year. All right, so let's kind of start going through, and we'll start with the Princess Diana one. That's coming from Neon. Uh, it did get its theatrical release date uh, just this past week. It will play theaters November 5th. Yeah, so Neon has some options. They were very kind of surgical last year with their properties, and you know they, they positioned them for awards, and basically... Uh, they also kind of started to lean into some PVOD quicker than usual. The Nicolas Cage movie Pig, which did some box office, not mm-hmm. great box office, but it made a couple million. It made three million. It only has a four million dollar budget, so it made some of its uh, money there. And now apparently, it's you know every IndieWire article over the last couple of weeks is saying it's doing great. It's on, it's on top of all the charts on PVOD and VOD there. So Neon may lean into that more they may not just send things to hulu or whatnot or just you know let things get acquired so spencer could have a play in theaters maybe it helps some areas that are okay uh some some indie indie theaters that are you know where people are still able to go because it's in covid controlled areas perhaps and that's a lifeblood for theaters specialty theaters during oscar time again i'm trying to find a silver lining i'm gonna say that's a hell of a that's a hell of a could the movie about the weekend in which princess diana decides to divorce prince charles save theaters (laughs) i would see that in my local podunk theater right now if i could i would see that in my specialty theater if i could i think you're gonna get the chance because i feel like spencer is pretty well set in terms of playing theaters. I mean, we talked about it's they they know they're going to debut in Venice. They know they're going to put play Toronto. Those things are in stone. It's a yeah. neon movie. Neon knows how to market. They're they're one of the best at this, especially when something has awards legs. You've already alluded to that. I would think Spencer is all systems go with its debut in theaters despite the COVID numbers, barring again something like AMC shutting down completely or something like that. Right. And and, and that's the thing. Maybe these specialty titles maybe the big ones got to move off but maybe there's enough to just keep theaters afloat even operating at x amount of losses Mm -hmm. going forward and you know again hopefully everybody gets vaccinated and the vaccinations work and we just can get better that would be nice no that would be really nice nice. (laughs) that would be the nicest thing here uh that would be the best news Mm -hmm. of all this but all right let's let's talk about the streaming calendar and again no matter what we're getting this stuff uh, and we'll go streamer by streamer, listen to the Nomcast's last episode. Andrew and I kind of talked through a bunch of these movies as well. But, Michael, September, we have Worth with Michael Keaton on September 3rd. We had we have Blood Brothers, Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali. That documentary just released a trailer. That's coming September 7th. And we have Kate as a, as a cool-ass action movie with Mary Elizabeth Winston. We just reviewed that trailer last yeah. week. We're, we're excited for early September on Netflix. Netflix... 
again, is the one of all of these studios that are just going to laugh their way through whatever COVID has in store, whatever anything yeah. has in store. They're they're well set, and it goes on with other titles having to do with uh, that's going to be debuting on the Netflix slate as the 1st of October. They have themselves on Netflix, Diana, which is a filmed Broadway slash West End musical about Princess Diana. Chris Evangelista of Slash Film hit it on. There's a ton of Princess Diana stuff coming in, in a very litany of forms and mediums over the next few months. Yeah, I've spent an embarrassing amount of time looking at the set photos of the Netflix uh, show The Crown. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying, like, you know, Spencer might do, it might do $10 million at the I Listen, box, so, your lips you know. to God's ears, man. I hope so. And I hope Kristen Stewart has Oscar legs in that performance as well. Right. Uh, November is loaded for Netflix after some holes. I mean, September and October, they have... Spots available, we'll talk about it in a minute, spots available for movies that they haven't dated yet, but November, The Harder They Fall, Red Notice, Tick, Tick, Boom, Bruised, these are four big titles that Andrew and I just talked about at length, but we ha- we've we reviewed these movies uh, in terms of their trailers, Red, ex- with the exception of Red Notice, which is going to be their big $200 million blockbuster with Gal Gadot, The Rock, and Ryan Reynolds, Mike. I am so tired of seeing the three of them promote various Netflix titles that aren't Red Notice and that like one, they must have had the, those three people on set for an entire day talking about all the different Netflix stuff coming up and just promoting it promoting it no wonder it's 200 million dollars because you probably spent half of that in promoting your other films coming out of the rock's mouth which I wish he would come back this weekend as well in the wrestling world but that will remain to see if that'll happen December uh, the biggie from Netflix as far as awards chances probably possibly go don't look up that one from Adam McKay that's going to debut on the 3rd of December we also have the hand of God we just talked about that coming out December 15th and it'll be in theaters in November at the end of November on the 24th the lost daughter also appears to round out this 2021 year that'll come out on Netflix on 1231 even though it'll have its debut in theaters a couple weeks earlier on the 15th Right, so that's eight or nine Oscar-y films on Netflix dated right now. That's another three or four just cool-ass movies that we've been covering and looking forward to as well. And they still have five Netflix, five more 2021 films without date. Dates. We have their uh, animated film, Back to the Outback. We have the Sundance movie that I reviewed, Passing, Rebecca Hall, Tessa Thompson, Ruth Negga there. We have The Guilty with Jake Gyllenhaal, mm-hmm. The Starling with Melissa McCarthy. Both of those films are headed to TIFF. We have your future rock band name. There's an alt-punk Untitled mm. Nora Fingshite Project, Mike. That's, that is a great band name. I refuse to hear anything. <laughs> I will not take notes on that. <laughs> Sandra Bullock, Viola Davis are going to be in that movie. So th- how do we not think of Untitled Nora Fingshite Project and think Oscars <laughs> with that cast? So, again, listen to the Nomcast. Uh, and, yeah, I think you could do a whole other segment here on all of the unattached films at these film festivals that could be acquired by Netflix, something they did very well last year with Pieces of a Woman with Bruised, with uh, the Richard Linklater. Maybe that was even before that. But they, 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 oh, Malcolm and Marie was the other big one. They and make acquisitions, Netflix. They make acquisitions, and they also, don't forget, have their foot a foothold heavily into miniseries and TV shows as well. I know there's a, it seems like there's a big hole in October, but that new Mike Flanagan series is going to be coming out as well, which I'm excited for. So uh, awesome. there's all kinds of stuff going on with Netflix. Let's pivot and talk about Warners and move on to HBO Max. Uh, the WB slate of features here, they're going to continue to roll out day and date throughout the remainder of 2021. That should stop in January of 2022, but we'll see if that happens. Here's what's left for HBO Max in 2021. August, we've talked about the Suicide Squad already reminiscence comes out on the 20th which is today as we record this mike 
are you seeing I mean you see everything so you're going to see this. Do you want to see reminiscence? I probably will click play and I'll see how annoying it is early. But there's beautiful people mm-hmm. swimming in water. <laughs> Am I really not going to watch that? Are you not going to watch? I mean, I I don't know. Hugh Jackman's Waterworld. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, September, we have Malignant coming out. That's the James Wan horror. That's not starring Alison, Alison Brie. Brie. Yeah, no, Alison yeah, Brie she's movie. not, in, again, not Alison Brie. Want to <laughs> underscore that for any co-hosts who might be listening. Alison Brie, not in Malignant. Cry Macho comes out the 17th. October, Many Saints of Newark comes out the 1st. Dune, the 22nd, which we've talked about ad nauseum already. King Richard debuts on HBO Max on November 19th. And it'll end the year with a biggie, Matrix 4, coming out on 12-22, which also might be a big part of uh, CinemaCon. I was just reading on Twitter before we hit play or record here today. Uh, they're expecting there might be news, maybe a trailer for Matrix, Matrix 4 coming out in CinemaCon soon. Right. So that's three or four major Oscar contenders uh, in, in major categories, and then three or four huge blockbuster movies that we're going to get otherwise. So this is, again, you know, I mean, we're, this list is stacking up. That's heading to streaming. We just got Coda. We just gave it a, a very positive review on our last Oscars profile. Go listen to that. Go click play on Coda on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, we also got the release date for the Tom Hanks. He's on a road trip to give a dog to a robot. Is that the plot? <laughs> For Finch, but this is November 5th now. We're getting an irresistible Tom Hanks Robots Need Dogs 2 movie. I don't even have a joke ready for that. <laughs> I had I had three or four. Don't worry. Mike, Amazon. What's coming to Amazon? Let's talk about Amazon. Like Netflix, they also have been slow to reveal their full schedule, but they have some biggies that are awaiting release dates uh, as well. Aaron Sorkin's being the Ricardos, George Clooney's The Tender Bar, uh, Cumberbatch and Cat Paintings in The Electrical Life of Lewis Wine. I can't believe that's a thing either. That should join Tom Hanks' robot dog. Riz Ahmed and Encounter, they all still need Amazon Prime release dates, but they did start to lock in some things that will be coming out in September, Mike. Yeah, earmuffs, please. Uh, Cinderella will hit Prime on 9-3. <laughs> then on September 17th, we got two movies, the first of which we previewed a couple times. Everybody, or everyone's talking about Jamie. Let me get the title right. That's yeah. another huge musical adaptation. Uh, we've, you know... We've looked at that as, you know, just one of, like, ten huge musicals coming out this year. I keep forgetting. Every time, like, this is the year of the musicals. Well, maybe, nah, because this movie didn't do as well. But there's still, like, another six coming. I, th- this, last year, this year, and next year should all just count as one year. None of us should age. This should, it could all be the year of the musical. Like, COVID should be a year. It should be, like, 2019, COVID, 2024, whenever we get out of it. Like, that's well, how, how about that, though? We have to go. do we have to do an Oscar Olympic-style thing, like the COVID Oscars, the yeah. COVID-era Oscars, yeah. and group these three years together. Might have to do something. I think, I think we're currently doing that, as a matter of fact. I think that's <laughs> what we do every episode. But uh, there's another film that we did review recently, Melanie Laurent's The Mad Woman's Ball. That'll head to TIFF uh, in early September before its Amazon Prime release on the 17th. Yeah, that that plot premise we read it a couple episodes ago uh, was was fascinating and, and important. So, look, we mentioned the undated Amazon films up top, uh, like you said, Mike, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Amazon continue to be aggressive at the festivals of, as well, like Netflix in terms of acquisitions. They've been nothing but aggressive of late with MGM and uh, what we just saw with Hotel Transylvania Four. So, there. 
there's there's that side of it, but there's just also the the MGM side of things where they got a couple Oscar contenders that we could be talking about with uh, Amazon Prime now. So, yes, there's a couple things holding back the MGM and Amazon being in charge of moving MGM properties in the first place. That's first of which is that that deal is not final yet. It hasn't been. Uh, the mm-hmm. FCC hasn't given approval, and I don't know when it's expected to be final. Secondly, is that the world's most famous vegetable last name producer has mm-hmm. kind of come out and said that <laughs> No Time to Die won't be moving from theaters. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means it won't be moving, period. And that movie's been moved, what, three times already? Right. And I again, just think there's, there's so many deals, right? Wouldn't they have to move it? There's so many connected financial dealings like Universal, Eon have to make movie theater money. On I'm no time under to the die, impression. I'm under the impression that the bigger the movie, the more money it costs to market, obviously, and thus the more money it costs to move. Mm. Moving a, a James Bond film, I think they've done it three times, honestly, already. I mean, they they got to be hemorrhaging cash on this property at this point. What's it got to right. make back in theaters? So if you put it in theaters. Yeah. With nobody going to theaters, I mean, does Eon close up shop? What? What? I mean, what? I don't know. I don't know how to how to approach the James Bond uh, property. But we know the Broccoli family wants it to be seen in theaters. We know it's not going to go to streaming if the Broccoli family has their way, which it seems like that would be have been part of the negotiation uh, because Amazon obviously wants the James Bond library. That's part of the allure of purchasing right. MGM outright. So uh, we're going to have to see how that all plays out. Well, I guess what I was starting to say before is that they do have some movies further out on the schedule, like House of Gucci, like PTA, Soggy Bottom, like Joe Wright, Cyrano, that we've covered that I think MGM put on the schedule very early for a reason that we now know is that they were posturing for an Amazon merger slash acquisition there, right? So it was they could be moving towards streaming if uh, obviously we have a dark winter or maybe it takes some pressure off on those box offices i mean if the richest company in the world is behind mgm now maybe mgm doesn't have to make x amount of dollars on house of gucci maybe again all corporations want to make all the money but again maybe they could prop up amazon prime even more if house of gucci is going to you know debut like you know coming to america and once once one night in miami did last year mike i mean what's the I mean that's gonna that's gonna be a major movie watching event in the zeitgeist if, if House of Gucci was exclusive on Amazon Prime, even more so than Borat Two, perhaps. I don't think it's possible though. Is I, I think too many strings with you're the bringing, deals. You're, yeah, you're all, bringing a really yeah. you're, it's a really interesting point. Could if Amazon if the I don't think the Amazon MGM merger is going to get approved this year anyway. So I don't think I think it's all a non-issue. Oh, it takes that long. But huh? if it was approved. Could Amazon take a property like House of Gucci, which they newly acquired, strip it from theaters, play it on their own, have it mm-hmm. debut on Prime, and then have it run its VOD? I know House of I, I'm pretty sure. I don't want to say I know because I don't. I didn't research for this, but I'm pretty sure House of Gucci already has a contractual obligation for its VOD rights, its second run rights, to go to a different streamer. Right. I think it might okay. be Netflix, but I'm not. Po- I'm not positive. But that's a whole new legal issue. Could Amazon? take something that's supposed to be a theatrical debut, play it in theaters themselves, and then license yeah. it out to a different streamer, would that hurt the streamer's second-run market? That's a fascinating quandary that you kind of brought up there. I don't know the answer to that. And that would be, uh, you know, the longer COVID goes on, the more legal entanglements and issues like that are going to come up. 
And the so, more that right, things so, don't play theaters, the more this yeah. is going to come up. So probably House of Gucci, PTA, Saki, they got to go to movie theaters at least first and honor those, those deals. Now, can Amazon, like, like that's what we're cynical about Disney. Are they just kind of <laughs> putting it out there knowing that it's going to fail? Like, that's, we got to really pay attention to the box office over the next couple of weeks and what's going on with the COVID numbers, unfortunately. But good news, bad news, like we said, a lot of stuff uh, still coming no matter what. Uh, last story, Mike. Film festivals are announcing their slates. In New York, I didn't even know we're going to announce a whole nother slate, the spotlight section. Like, I was a, I was very happy just going to see all the international can films head to New York, but I got some big names yeah. heading there now with Dune, Come On, Come On, and then a, a bunch more of the can titles uh, and Venice titles like The French Dispatch, Red Rocket, and The Lost Daughter. Uh, that's... A huge bonus like I, I looked at that store i was like whoa i got uh, these five movies i gotta see them too so do we read anything into that that those movies have decided to play new york as well is there any kind of pot is it just them doing their due diligence playing the festival circuit or are they do they see some kind of positive uh with covid and being able to stay in theaters and being able to withstand this year or do they think they're already in theaters they've already had their debut so they might as well go for the gusto and hope that covid takes out some of the competition not not to be morbid, but m- movies move. I mean, not to yeah. Sorry, movies can move, and <laughs> and we've seen we've seen long film festival journeys in the past. I mean, even the father with Sundance, and then not until again in the fall where it could rebuild. But I mean, we've seen long film festival lapses, like we started out the episode with with Worth, right? That's the thing. Like if you put Come On, Come On, which is newly to the schedule in New York. And it has like this cameo experience, and then you shut it down. What does that do? I mean, I guess you can re-enter it next year's film festival circuit if it, if if it right. has at least a positive reception initially at New York. I, I wonder. But the, I mean, here's the thing: the whole thing about film festivals is you want to get that grassroots campaign of excitement right. going for for the audiences and for its awards campaigning. So, I mean, come on, come on! It's hopefully building. A resume. Hopefully, it's going to Telluride, and then it's going to um, AFI and Middleburg after this, and and that's that's the idea of the film festival circuit, I would think. I mean, maybe some films can be very choosy and only play this or that, but uh, they, that that was that was big news with Come On, Come On heading to uh, heading to New York for one, and these other films are now continuing their film festival runs. A lot of stuff up in the air. There's so many moving parts to all of this, and as we all just try to make our way through whatever the hell these current times are that we thought were in the past and now seem not to be. And I, I don't know. I don't know yeah. anything. And I'm hoping CM Punk can make everything feel better for me uh, later tonight, <laughs> quite frankly, is what I'm looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to you looking forward to something. And uh, <laughs> if it's wrestling, I'll take it for now. But, but we did... We did talk about a lot of cool new movies, though, so I, I appreciate the double side of the coin episode from from you and I today. We're trying to trying to be not so negative, 
<laughs> despite the current state of the world. So we're going to try the glass half full thing every once in a while. It'll, it'll seep out otherwise. But uh, guys, as always, what matters most of all to us is your thoughts on any of these machinations. What are your thoughts on COVID? What do you think about this film festival movement? And are you most excited to see uh, come to streaming your way before the end of the year? You can leave us all those as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions, or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the MMO empire on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available wherever you hear podcasts and if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app if you'd be so kind as to leave us a five-star review those go a long way in helping us out michael tell the good people what's coming next from us and let's end on some words of wisdom yeah we'll be paying attention to the toronto international film festival to venice uh to how those first reactions come in and uh we'll certainly have these oscar race checkpoints uh, continuing your, you know, to be every week. It's kind of been weekly right now because we can't help it. Uh, maybe it's every week. Maybe it's uh, we miss a week in there because we just did a bunch of uh, film studies and we had back-to-back film studies first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Coda melted your heart. I should have mentioned that at the top of the yes. episode. Coda melted your heart to the degree where it thawed enough <laughs> to where we could get this <laughs> end of the episode kind of at least double-sided. But I... <laughs> I, I'm glad for that, I'm, and I'm glad for streaming still giving us good movies. And we're going to go to the movie theaters probably early next week to see The Night House, whether we review that in its own episode or whether we uh, kind of have it at the front of an Oscar race checkpoint. We will see, but we do got films, especially of the horror variety that we're interested in in the next couple of weeks, like Candyman, like The Night House, like uh, uh, Malignant, certainly that we'll be uh, you know paying close attention to. Maybe we'll, we'll review those uh, and... You know, there are still big movies, like we've been saying all episode, that will devote Oscars profile episodes to. Yes, uh, you can catch Mike on the Nomcast recently. I was uh, lucky enough to be on Swell's podcast, Swell Shenanigans. Right. I was droning on. I didn't give the words of wisdom. The words of wisdom is listen to Swell's Shenanigans. I can't <laughs> wait to hear that episode. She's editing it right now. It's going to be episode four, right, next week? I, I, I don't know which number episode it was. I, I, I fear I was a little too manic on her because I, I know poor Amanda had, t- had a tough time keeping me on track, as is usually the case with you. So she got to feel uh, what that was like. Like with my uh, stream of consciousness, but we do talk about touch on a lot of movie stuff and celebrity stuff as well. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, good job by you and Nomcast as well, doing the whole Netflix preview Oscars, the, the Netflix Oscars preview slate. Uh, so we uh, we have friends, and it's nice we to have, have friends. other groups of friends. Yes, <laughs> yes, we do. We do. Guys. When reality sucks, you can come get ready for whatever COVID has in store and the rest of the film year with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. See you.